I prefaced it. I shouldn't have said this. It sounds so obvious now that I'm embarrassed to say this, but I mean, I was like, I'm like, don't worry. The video is very appropriate, <laughs> which immediately <laughs> plants the idea in their mind of, it's, is it? It's not appropriate, <laughs> In today's episode, Ingrid and Kelly talk about some recent hits and misses in their teaching. Every teacher has highs and lows, and it's good to take a moment to reflect. We can be very hard on ourselves. How can you celebrate your successes and learn from the mistakes? If an activity is a bust, will you try it again? Welcome to We Teach French with your hosts, Kelly Burt and Ingrid Veilleux. We are two podcasters on a learning adventure in French immersion. In each episode, we dive into a different topic in French immersion. Thank you for joining us. Okay. I just showed you a video. I have so many questions. <laughs> the, for our listeners, the title is Je fais du sport by Gauthier Galland. And I wasn't sure if I was going to show it to my students. Um, because, like, in my opinion, before I showed it, I was thinking it's super catchy. I want my students to be interested. But on the other hand, it has like a cringe factor. And so I was really curious, was it going to be a hit or a miss in the classroom? What was your reaction? You just saw it. Well, you played the video for me. And as I'm watching, my, I think my first question was, who is this guy? <laughs> and then I'm watching and I'm thinking, is this a video meant to help people learning French? Like, is it designed for French language learners? Je fais du sport. And then... It also has bilingual components. It like has they some, say, it, yeah. Like they say sport and then they say S-P-O-R-T. They spell it in English. Yeah. And then it's like saying... Um, he says, je fais des pompes. And he's like, I'm doing push-ups. So there's a bit of English and French for the different exercises it's a little strange and then I was watching it and then I don't know if this is just my thing then I'm like where is he where has he made this video is he French or from France is he from Canada where is he from and what's the whole purpose behind this video and then at the end I said oh well I should be showing this when I teach about sport in the fall Mm -hmm. So let me share, because our, our today's topic is hits and misses. Mm -hmm. So I showed this to two different grade seven classes side by side. Okay. And it was a big miss in one class, and it was a hit in the other. Okay. And I introduced it in two different ways. So I was thinking, so he is a comedian, humorist, chanteur, he calls himself chanteur humanité. I really don't know that much about him. I think he's from France. And um, I thought, oh, tons of vocabulary. Great. We're going to do this definitely as a language lesson. So I printed out the lyrics and I gave them the lyrics. And as I'm setting up the projector, I can hear students going, what is this song? Like, this seems inappropriate. And because I, I, he's being very funny, like he'll say um, something like attraction attraction yeah and this kind of like not handsome but muscly guys going attraction you know and tension pretension so the words are clever 
I think the message of the whole thing is like it's slightly mocking the fitness industry. Yeah. And also people saying that I care about my body, not my soul. So it's very superficial and making fun of that. Mm. But for that group of students who saw the lyrics first, they were like, oh, what is this? And then when I was watching it, because I wasn't confident, I was like, I prefaced it. I shouldn't have said this. It sounds so obvious now that I'm embarrassed to say this. But I mean, I was like, I'm like, don't worry. The video is very appropriate. <laughs> Which immediately <laughs> plants the idea in their mind of, it's, is it? It's not appropriate, Liddell. <laughs> okay. So second class, I show it to you because I am invested in this song. Different day. I decide I'm just going to show them the song first and then I'll show them the lyrics later. They loved it. They were just like grooving. They thought it was hilarious and everything. Huh. Interesting. Same song. Lyrics first. Video first. That's the difference. One was a miss. One was a hit. But also two different groups of students. True. And I find that some of the kinds of things that are a definite hit with one group can just be a miss and vice versa. Mm. As... We know every cohort is different, and, and maybe that's part of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't think it's all on you, madame. <laughs> <laughs> so I love your example and sharing and getting my honest reaction to your hit and miss. <laughs> because in today's episode, we're talking about hits and misses. And I know when we were discussing this episode in our pre-planning phase, we decided to take stock for the last few months. And I think that's a really valuable exercise because as you're teaching and in the moment at the end of the day or at the end of the week, you know what's gone well, what's not gone well. We all have our ups and downs in teaching. Some lessons really resonate with students and you come away feeling elated and other times you just want to shut the whole project down. Mm -hmm. I know I feel that way. So we thought it would be fun, <laughs> fun, uh, <laughs> after uh, thinking back the last few months of our teaching to share and talk out some of what's gone well, what are some lessons that have been so successful that you definitely want to bring forward and others that, well, for the time being, I tossed aside, but maybe would work in a different yeah, class. Exactly. And I think inherent within this is as teachers, as much as we like to have routines and things that give us give our class structure, we need to take risks and try new things and innovate. And um, sometimes it pays off. And Some. sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to start with the good news or the bad news? I'll start with a good news one. Okay. Yeah, this one, like a really tiny, basic thing. Um, in this class that I've been working with for a couple months, um, to encourage uh, speaking French because there was a lot of English being spoken. Um, I was awarding um, team points for speaking French. But what I noticed is that because if students would speak to me in English, I would speak English. And so I was being a poor model of English. Like first maybe day or two, I, I finally said to them, I said, you know, this isn't working. Like, if you don't speak French to me, I'm I'm going to reply back to you in English. And this is just, like, very bad. So we modified our little point system. They still get points for speaking French, but if I speak English, 
and they point it out, they get a point for their team. And this has been a huge help, just a reminder, motivation, makes me part of the game, um, makes it a little bit fun for them when they can say, ah, excusez-moi, madame, vous avez parlé anglais. Your students are way more polite than mine. Mine are ruthless <laughs> because I'm on the dollar system. Okay. And it's, again, a little different than how I've done it in the past, but one feature is if I speak English, then I have to give the student who calls me out a dollar or if it's a couple of students and it's not the old excusez-moi madame they, yeah they, they are ruthless it's tu parles en anglais madame and um, and then they all jump on like pile on and passing out dollars i think i was in your classroom for like a 40 minute block one yes. day and they caught me, but they pointed out that I was saying, okay. And yeah. so I'm still not sure if that's, if, like, it's probably not good French, but is it acceptable? And they're saying, oh, d'accord. You're correcting me. So I love that, though. It's a good opportunity for conversation. Yes. But I do find this class incredibly polite. Like, they can even, sometimes, just to see their reaction, I might deliberately say something in English they can wait a minute or two and then someone will like kind of cautiously raise their hand and say excuse me but every every group dynamic is different yes yes so that's the good news can I start with uh, I'm gonna start with math okay because I want to talk about a miss and a hit that okay. I've had in my math instruction yep. of late. So a big miss, and this one, it was painful for me. Every year, <laughs> I really love to do a unit in math, the topic of l'analyse de données et probabilité. Yep. When we're graphing and doing surveys and looking at probability and statistics. and um, I enjoy this unit a lot. Now this year, because of the circumstance in my class, I decided to do this unit in early February. And so I got everything all ready and kicked it off. And every lesson was a slog. Oh, I could tell the students weren't, didn't seem to be super engaged. Oh. Um, and I was planning my lessons, but not feeling excited about what I was teaching. Oh, that's interesting. I kept pushing myself, saying, I've got to get this done. Mm -hmm. One more lesson. Let's go. Keep going. And I was getting everything ready. Got all my stuff set up on the Census at School website, Recensement à l'école, with the Canadian government. They have this whole thing. I love to do this with my class. And then I guess I got to a breaking point. <laughs> with one lesson but I felt like this is awful mm. and so I was explaining to another teacher uh, next math class I'm just doing something totally different and they were shocked and I said I give permission to myself to totally abandon this unit I am <laughs> not spending another second of my time with this right now and I started something new the following day mm. and in hindsight, now that I'm thinking about it, this is what I think, 
is that normally I do this lesson or do this unit in May. Ah, okay. And it is so language intensive mm. and language based. Mm -hmm. My first reaction is I feel that uh, linguistically it wasn't the right time of mm. year. Okay, so it was a mismatch. I think it was a mismatch. So mm -hmm. I think that I need to, in future, go back to this at a bit later in the school year when the kids have more vocabulary because when we're discussing probability and theoretical probability and doing little experiments and doing surveys and answering questions, there's so much language in this unit that it was just overwhelmingly challenging for me to scaffold the language into the math lesson. Mm. Whereas I found it's come way more easily later in the year. And the students have always enjoyed the unit. And yeah, I, I remember seeing the beautiful graphs, les sondages, um, just like wonderful. Like the students creating these questions and answers and just even like that whole process, not to mention when they publish it, mm -hmm. it looks beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, I learned from mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. but I also gave myself permission, like I said, no joke, middle of the week, I was like, this is it. Like, forget <laughs> it. I'm not doing another day of this. And I, like I said, I said, I have permission to let go of this. But on that, on the other hand, I have two great, two hits from math. So I know as an individual and as a teacher, I focus on the negative for me. Like you've kind of talked about, it's easy for us to see what's not going well and say, oh, this is terrible. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put aside that one miss mm -hmm. and bring in two hits and focus on the positive. Earlier in January, I was working on um, geometry and measurement. I had a lesson all planned and ready to go. And then as I was driving into school, I started thinking as I do when I'm commuting and came up with this idea. And then when I got to school, I was there early enough I could do this. I took painter's tape, the green painter's tape. I went into my classroom, and with the painter's tape, I created shapes on the classroom floor. Squares, rectangles, then some triangles, and then some parallelograms, and then also some complex shapes where it was a rectangle, but that finished in a triangle, or it looked like a house, a square with a roof. I, I remember walking into your classroom when you had put those down. I was so struck by it. It's immediately intriguing. What are these shapes? Why are they here? Yeah. So I was hooked. Okay, good. And so then I took a Sharpie, and on the painter's tape, I numbered all the shapes. And there was about 16 to 18 shapes around the classroom. And like I said, simple too complex and then so the lesson was students working with a partner everybody got a meter every group of two got a meter stick and a clipboard everybody clipboard with a piece of paper and they had to uh, move around the classroom and make sure they numbered it didn't matter what order but calculate the area and perimeter of the shapes they were so engaged they didn't want to stop they were on task with the exception of perhaps one or two students who have a hard time maintaining focus, but that's to be expected. Um, students were on task and engaged with the activity. They really enjoyed it. They liked the challenge. They liked that they could pick their shape. So that's what I liked about it was that 
Although the shapes were prescribed, there was a level of openness where they could pick how difficult or how challenging they wanted the shape to be. You know, they could um, pick their pick their shape. Um, so it was, um, yeah, a great great lesson, and um, the students were engaged, really enjoyed it. And um, <laughs> side note, I thought to myself, this is really going to make the custodial staff. <laughs> I know, I was thinking happy. about that. And so I kind of put off taking the painter's tape off the floor. Okay. And then every time the custodian would come in at the end of the day, I'm like, is that okay there? And she'd say, yeah, I'm just sweeping. Doesn't matter. I'm like, okay. But as time went on, painter's tape is usually really easy to rip yeah. off, right? But it was kind of getting mm. like, use it, like mm -hmm. stuck to the floor. So, so just before we went on a break, <laughs> I said to the kids, everybody, we're going to pitch in and you're going to help me. Because I knew if I had to do it by myself, oh. it was going to take forever. So I got all the kids on board. And as I've discovered in the last few years, this sort of strange trend with students is they find certain activities so satisfying, right? Oh. And they say that. This is so satisfying. Oh. And I said to myself, I bet this is one of those things they'll say, this is so satisfying, is to get a piece of the tape up and then pull it off. Oh. So they all chipped in. And they did find it satisfying. Oh, they so helped funny. me out. It took about 15 minutes. Yeah. And I thought, okay, now the floor is ready for the break. So if the custodians want to do deep clean, yeah, I will not be irritating them anymore. So that was that was so a funny. that was a good lesson. <laughs> it was fun, and I'll, I've never done it before, but I'm definitely going to do it again. Yeah, yeah. And then the second hit, so to stay on math, so I'm going to override that negative with two things. Was I started doing some more of the um, complex problem solving. With mm. students, where um, I um, pick a variety of different problems, but then have them, the intention is based on what I learned in our book club from last year, where you take just a short amount of time to present the problem, but really mm. the class is the talk and the problem solving. The one that was a huge hit was the skyscraper problem with my class. Okay, so how does that one work? It's kind of like a Sudoku puzzle in a way. Okay. So the students are given a grid, 16, so it's four by four. And for our listeners, if you Google math skyscraper problem, I think you'll find it. Is it, is it by Peter Lilly at all? It comes from his it's website. It's linked. Yeah, he, or sure. he's got a link on his website. Yes, okay. yes, thank you. And students use connecting cubes. And they have to make buildings that are one to four cubes tall. And then they have to arrange the 16 buildings in the cityscape. But depending on if you're looking at it from the right or from the left or, or east, west, north, south might be easier, you'll see a number. And if it says four, that means I should, from this perspective, see all four buildings. Mm. If it says one, I'm only going to see one building. So that means you're going to have to put your tallest building Got in it. because the shorter ones are behind. Mm. And then it becomes a bit of a puzzle mm. because as you change perspective, the numbers mm -hmm. are different. So you've got mm -hmm. to organize all your buildings and then in a way that respects that. And um, students loved it. They loved it. And I had printed off a series of the templates where they build the the cityscape on the grid and the more challenging ones, which I haven't used in the past, but I use this year because I find that my class seeks challenge in math. Normally 
on that skyscraper grid, you would have 16 numbers for on mm. every side to tell you how many buildings you see. The more harder ones leave some numbers out. Oh, So it has some numbers. So you start with those, but then you have to figure out where do the other numbers go and finish it off. So I did about two weeks of a variety of problem solving um, activities with the class. And then we stopped after um, that time and I had the students do a reflection in their portfolio. I asked every student to select at least one of the problems they'd worked on, um, the one that they felt that they enjoyed but also did very well with. And I asked them to um, include visual evidence of their work and then reflect on the, was it, um, how did you solve the problem? Was it uh, too hard, too easy, or just right? Like a good fit and why? And probably out of my class, I'd say 80% picked the skyscraper problem. Hmm. And they all commented, and I didn't ask, but they gave their opinion. They're like, I love this problem. Some of them hmm. even said, can we please have more problems like this? So I love that. Yeah. That's so, amazing. So I was so happy with how that went, especially because I did that lesson after struggling with this, the data analysis and, mm -hmm. and statistics. So um, I'm, I'm going to jump in with a math one that just came to mind as you were speaking. Mm -hmm. I decided to um, aborder, to embark on the topic of financial literacy, which that word literacy in French, I find weird because it's like, like democratie, T-I-E. I know such a weird spelling yeah. anyway um and so I was introducing this and you know god bless grade sevens who will tell you their honest opinion I'm sure grade sixes too but I found on the, this government of Canada website this wonderful in en français rationale for why we need to uh, learn about financial literacy how most Canadians um, mismanage their money a lot because they aren't don't have this foundational education and then I introduced them to I mean anyone who's like interested in investing um, you know if you have a thousand dollars and you get a seven percent return year over year you double your money in ten years right and I think that's a fun little fact and so we're doing these calculations we were also doing some sales tax calculations and different things and this one grade seven, she's working on these calculations and she says, Madam, you know, I'm not really into doing all these calculations. I just prefer to like put it into a computer and let the computer do the work for me. I was like, okay, so at this moment, I don't know, for some reason, the whole class is kind of listening and I'm feeling like this could go like da, 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 you know. <laughs> So I lean into this and I say, okay, let, let me give you an example. So you have a house, like our housing market in Richmond is very hot all over Vancouver, all over Canada probably. Yeah. And so you have a tiny little townhouse that's worth, say, maybe a million dollars or something. And you know it's worth around a million, but maybe you could get a million two for it. And so a real estate agent comes and talks to you and you have a couple real estate agents because, you know, they're very aggressive right now. They want to make some money off this hot market. And one of them says, 
you know, that real estate agent over there is going to charge you $5,000 for their services. I am only going to charge you 4.5%, right? And so which one do you pick? And so we started going through these different scenarios. And as soon as they're thinking about, oh, like, you know, how does this apply to my life? I'm sure they've heard their parents either celebrate the price of real estate or bemoan, depending on their situation. So that became um, quite relevant. We also then talked about the penny problem where, um, you know, you've got 30 calendar days and I'm going to offer you two things. Either I'm going to offer you a penny or I'm going to offer you $10,000. The catch is the penny will double in value every day for a month. Or you can just take $10,000. And so that's always a classic problem. But since then, um, the class has been very interested, very engaged in financial literacy and the topic and realizing two people starting off with the same amount of money can end up with a very different result or these choices. So it's not, I mean, we are doing the calculations because it's math class, but um that's been very interesting. So our um, next phase in this, after we've done a few more of these calculations, is they actually are going to be writing a story of two characters, like uh, Denis Endetté and what was the <laughs> other? Uh, like Rachel La Responsable, or something <laughs> like that. And they both start off with $1,000 and they make different choices. And how do, how do these different choices? And we show our calculations. I feel like sometimes leaning into like that discomfort, that kind of what, like, you know, like that student who just says maybe what everyone was thinking, like, who cares? You know, and then we read, then we went back to that article from the government of Canada and they talked about how it can affect your retirement, whether or not you can go to post-secondary, whether or not you can afford a car or a logement, you know, all these different things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that was kind of was uh, on the edge of going one way and I feel like it did turn out, but yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. I love that. Yeah, I'm hearkened back to a math lesson I've done before. You said about two people with the same amount of money and how the choices we make. And I've had students do a budgeting activity where they they get a budget of $3,000 to plan a trip. And where are you going to go? Where are you going to stay? And what are you going to do? And I had these two students who decided they were just going to drive. They weren't going to invest in airfare. And they were just going to go to Big White, which is a ski resort. And they rented the most expensive <laughs> Airbnb, this fancy house with an indoor pool and like seven wow. bathrooms, and six <laughs> bedrooms, and they blew all their money on this accommodation. And they could only stay for like three days yeah. and go skiing and then drive home. And then another student said, well, I want to go to Switzerland. And so they spent all their money on airfare, flew all the way to Switzerland, and then they could only spend like three days because they had to spend so much money on airfare. So yeah, it's funny because when you're talking about the financial literacy kinds of lessons, it's not just about the calculations, but it's also, 
around the decision making and the choices, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm actually very excited about um, some of our upcoming lessons that are going to be like, if you're choosing a cell phone plan, what is the basic plan? What are the add-ons? Or like, so, yes. or if you're buying a, a TV set, um, what is the cost of the TV set? But then how much are your monthly expenses to actually have something you can view on there? And so the total cost, like basic versus supplementaire. So. I know. Well, you know, I've been watching a lot of CBC News lately in the evening, and they have a feature on every night. Basically, it's just like about the high cost of living. Mm. And whether it's inflation, they go back a lot to the real estate market, um, supply chain issues and the cost of goods. It's a really hot topic. I mean, it's always mm -hmm. an important topic, but I feel like maybe because CBC is putting such an emphasis on it and it's something we're hearing in the media a lot in the last year or two about the costs of living. I do think this is the first time in my career, kind of like this year and last year, when students could talk about supply chain issues. <laughs> yes. You know, after the Suez Canal thing. Yes. And COVID and the toilet paper and... All of these things, it's been a strange time. It's been a real shift. I'm going to share another miss. <laughs> a couple of I love the misses. <laughs> and it's interesting because they do force me to reflect on what I'm teaching, how I'm teaching it. This one's related to science. So recently I've um, done a few experiments exploring uh, Newton's laws part of the grade six curriculum and both of the experiments themselves the students were very engaged and hands-on because specifically I picked building ballon fusée with the balloon and the straw and the string trying to get the ballon fusée to travel the greatest distance and another one on tower building with cups and cubes where you have the, a sheet of essentially a sheet of paper between each object and you have to try and pull out the sheet of paper quickly without having the tower fall down. And so I was exploring these concepts around inertia and Newton's laws and the students were um, executing the experiments well. The um, writing part, documenting it with our hypothesis, observations and conclusion did not match the level of expertise and engagement with the doing. Mm. So when I asked them to document their learning and share their learning, it, there were students who did that well, but I feel like um, it needed more scaffolding. Mm. I needed to build more pre-teaching into my lesson to support the students and to write and, and share their hypothesis, observations, and conclusions. So in hindsight, what would I do differently next time is I would provide more sentence starters. I would create a little vocabulary bank of some of the key words that could accompany, that they could use in their observations and their hypothesis and their conclusion as well. And um, I know sometimes with Dictée, I will pick a science or social studies theme very specifically because I want it to support what I'm doing. So we're getting like a double exposure to this vocabulary and using it. So that could be helpful for this unit. So that's not something I've done in the past, but something I could do moving forward. So I felt I felt good that we embarked on the experience 
but I didn't really love how the students documented their learning. Now, having said that, next week I have another <laughs> experiment planned. Mm -hmm. Have have I changed anything? I'm going to have to go back to that lesson. And what is your next week's experiment about? It's again on inertia. So you're going to have like a little model car, a little toy car. And it's, it's meant to show how your seatbelt, you know, stops you when you hit an object. So that's the crux of the lesson. It makes me think of uh, possibly returning to the knowledge framework. Yes. And just to think about how the, maybe the cause and effect language right see that 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 and then the end of the sentence and that would be in the present tense or quand on le on impersonnel mm -hmm. thank you viewers can you hear my pencil scratching because as Ingrid <laughs> is talking I'm making some notes but I'm also thinking about the book we're reading this year as a quick recap the knowledge framework talks about choice evaluation sequencing principles description and classification as being six categories in the knowledge framework and when you touch on those six categories of vocabulary which can be paired with graphic organizers that in fact transfers from science to math to language arts by teaching the cause and effect language even when I was doing financial literacy um, with the students and really we were looking at one or two paragraphs it had the language of hypothesis, cause and effect. And so I found that jumped out to me. And the, I asked them too. I said, oh, where have you noticed this before? And they're like, oh, en science naturelle. So that, that's interesting. Such a helpful reminder, right? As I need to, I've just read that chapter recently. Why am I not going back? But I need these reminders. So that's so helpful for me because that is the book we're focusing on our book club this year. and. That chapter is what I need to revisit because usually in my teaching, I'm very um, methodical and I really explicitly plan my scaffolding within my content areas. And this is when I don't and this is what happens, right? Mm. That's what I feel like is mm -hmm. the students can execute, but it's not like they're doing the experiment in, in their first language where they can mm -hmm. just naturally talk about it. So... So that's my job is I have to make sure that I'm setting up those steps that are going to support them to do it successfully. Mm -hmm. Now I want to talk about some positive, the good news. Yay! Some <laughs> hits. One is a follow-up from a previous podcast episode. Oh. Maybe if our listeners have listened to it and will remember about board games. And we talked mm. about La Guerre des Clans. Oh, yeah. So the French version of Family Feud. I've been playing this with my class lately, and it's been so much fun. The way I work it as a whole class game is I'll give them the question, and everybody has a whiteboard, and they come up with whatever answer. Le prénom d'un garçon qui commence avec la lettre P. And they write whatever one they want, and, I, and then for every one they get that's on the list, the class gets the points, and any that they miss, Madame Burt gets the points. I love that. And so it's been fun. We've... And again, it's at the time of year in grade six where um, they have enough vocabulary to be successful. And they usually beat me like the last few games has been like 600 to 200 points. Okay. And they beat me every time, which is, <laughs> which is fantastic. And um, but as you've said, Madame Veilleur, you did give me fair warning about picking my questions thoughtfully. 
because there's some that are adult oriented and not appropriate for grade six. <laughs> well said. Yeah. So that's been a great hit. That's been super fun. Another game that we've been playing is Boule de Cristal, which I started early in January. Um, and it's really boosted the French speaking in class. And that is simply projecting on the whiteboard 20 to 30 little images. And then we're partners. I pick an item. You don't know what it is. It's like guessing who, right? Oh. Est-ce un animal? Est-ce petit? Oh. Est-ce quelque chose que je vois dans la salle de classe? Uh, Est-ce qu'on peut manger cet objet? And so they ask about five questions and then they have to guess what it is. And um, what I'm noticing now is that in the beginning, I gave the students the questions and we did a couple of activities categorizing the items based on the questions to get them familiar with the vocabulary. And then now they just stand up and circulate in the classroom and chat with one another and play partners and they come up with their own questions. That's amazing. It kind of leads back to the knowledge framework thing. Yes. Of the... Um describing and then classification mm-hmm. anytime there's a chance to talk about object attributes that really is a strong vocab mm-hmm. oh I really I'm gonna try that with my class yeah and so I've done so you would have some of the students this year who have mm-hmm. or be, would be familiar with, yeah. yeah with this kind of structure who are my class last year uh, another great activity. I got to tell you about this one. I, I left it with my heart so full. We did a neighborhood scavenger hunt. Canadian parents for French at the height of the pandemic came out with bingo du quartier. And I've kept it. So you take the kids out. Um, they, everybody gets a copy. There's about 24 images with the vocabulary word underneath. So they have the picture. So even if they don't know, a lot of the words that my students would have seen for the first time. Uh, Put it on a clipboard. We go on a neighborhood walk and we have to tick off everything we see in the neighborhood. Now we live in a neighborhood that's, our school is right in the middle of homes and townhomes. And it's possible to have a really nice, quite lengthy neighborhood walk without going onto the major streets that border our neighborhood. Um, so I took the kids out for this walk. We were out for about a half an hour, but what the kids loved it. And at the end they wanted to do more like that. And I said, Oh, the weather's getting better. It's spring. We can do more activities outdoors. But the thing that I noticed was that the students were speaking French. Oh, so nice. And I stopped them at one point and I congratulated everybody I could hear and I said here's what I'm hearing voici mes observations mm-hmm. and I shared with them that I had noticed how wonderfully they were using the target vocab on the bingo hunt because they mm-hmm. were saying je ne vois pas de porte bleue mm-hmm. où est la boîte à lettres rouge and they were asking these questions I've never had a group engage with the vocabulary in this way like out on a neighborhood walk in French mm-hmm. so it was just really they had fun I felt like it was a great language activity it all ended up positively everybody was safe nobody got run over (laughs) everybody stayed on the sidewalk (laughs) it all worked out really well so that was a great hit and then um the last couple of ones for French again uh we did wordless picture book story writing so we um 
took some of those, I photocopied some pages and the kids generated a whole bunch of vocabulary. Again, it was tied into a dictate theme. They generated a bunch of vocabulary that would describe what was happening in the pictures. And then I invited them to take about, there was about 10 to 13 pictures and they decided what order they wanted them in. And then they wrote the story that went with, they really engaged with that. And again, what I loved about it was it was sim as simple as set an astronaut for just our beginners, but then other students could write, you know, voici Ingrid, elle est astronaut, elle va voyager dans l'espace, mm. and they could go on and on. Um, they did a great job with that. And the last two, a reading, we did reading uh, fairy tales recently, and with my colleague who provided with me some of the key, and we also have in the classroom, some of the key structures when we're talking about stories and understanding stories and writing stories knowing like what is the setting who are the characters so identifying the elements of story but then also the transition words um au début il y a ensuite finalement uh, malheureusement and these kinds of words connecting words all of that came together just really well and the kids enjoyed it and and the thing that was really nice was some of the vocabulary in the fairy tales can be challenging but because these are typically stories that they're familiar with then it helps with the comprehension the last one was in social studies talking about climate of all things probably not the most exciting topic <laughs> <laughs> but again this one kind of came to me off the cuff because I kept thinking how am I gonna get the students engaged with text in a meaningful way when we're talking about climate this is again for our listeners back to our expo project so it's integrated into social studies i wanted them to look at like understand what is climate talking about like when we're looking at temperature patterns precipitation seasons um, is it a humid climate is it a dry climate that sort of thing so i had found a website that broke down um, climate into um, you know tropical temperate the different places in the world and then I assigned each group a type of climate. I gave them some key questions. How, how much rain and precipitation does it get? Or is there a dry season, a wet season? What's the temperature like? What is the vegetation like? Where is it located? What's a country in this zone, etc. So in their table groups, they came up with, they, they went to the website, they found, they got the information. So it was good for note-taking, got some information. And then I said, okay, now, so I have six table groups, and I said, these two groups come together. Now you're making a Venn diagram with your two different types of climate. You're going to find what do your climates have in common? How are they different? They got to work right away. And then after that, we said, okay, so then I did a whip around. Every group share, me, share with me one thing you found in common and two things that were different or unique to each climate system. That whole lesson took about an hour, and it mm. went off just like a dream, like, you know, like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sometimes lessons are like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They were engaged for the whole time. There mm -hmm. was enough change in activity to keep them engaged on yeah. the topic. And they did a really um, thoughtful investigation of the vocabulary and the concepts around mm -hmm, climate. Mm -hmm, so that mm -hmm. was, a, was a great lesson. We're always looking for things that are engaging, like these science experiments, and then assessing the language needs. To go with it. No. I, I do really enjoy 
taking stock, um, reflecting back. I wonder how much our listeners do this. I know for me, it's very easy to be self-critical. Me too. So I like the opportunity to just celebrate some of the things that have gone well. Yes. And I will say this, though, as a final kind of observation, what I noticed was my misses mostly in math and science and my hits are mostly in French. Oh. And I also wonder because I really like teaching French mm. <laughs> and I'm more, my, myself am more interested and invested mm. and math and science are less interesting to me. Mm. So I, I just wonder if that's just maybe my personal struggle too. Hmm. I don't know. But it sounds like those science lessons were super engaging. I try. I yeah. do try. I try hard. <laughs> <laughs> but there's always more to learn. And, and absolutely. And we have to, as teachers, we've all committed to this journey. Yes. And it's process. And it's about so much about relationship with students. My students are lovely. They do... They'll forgive my misses, and they aren't yeah. critical, but I know when something has not gone well. <laughs> Too funny. Yeah. yeah. So here's to the next few months of the school year, and lots of hits, and we know there's going to be misses too, but what I'm sure we'll learn from them. Yeah, and maybe laugh. Yes, I hope. <laughs> Merci, madame. Merci, madame.